to Confessions of an Eco-Warrior, the podcast which explores the possibilities, challenges and contradictions of attempting to reduce our impact on the planet. I'm Mac. And I'm Becky. So basically, Mac knows the big things about the environment and sustainability, and I spend a lot of time on social media. So you could say that Mac is the Mr Miyagi to my Karate Kid, the Gandalf to my Frodo, and maybe a bit more niche, the Captain Holt to my Amy Santiago. Nine nine. <laughs> uh, so this week's episode is called A Flesh Called Fatberg. And in particular, we are going to discuss the impact of periods on the environment. So because this podcast acknowledges the guilt and confusion you can feel when you try and reduce your impact on the planet, um, we thought it might be nice to start with some confessions from our own personal eco-fails and eco-worries. Um, Becky, I'm happy to go first, if that's okay. Sure, go for it. Um, so I guess for the past four, maybe five years, me and my partner have been trying to reduce our impact on the planet based on what we buy and how we dispose of things. And I've ended up getting this... Uh, reputation amongst our friends and family of some sort of a guru probably preaching at them all the time um, and it's led to the point where I ended up with loads of toiletries that were given to me by some friends and family that they didn't want anymore and they were in plastic bottles right and I wouldn't usually buy stuff in plastic and now whenever friends and family come to visit I hide them because I just can't <laughs> be bothered shame. To, <laughs> I can't be bothered for people to ask me Oh, hang on a minute. I thought you wouldn't use plastic. Why have you got all this stuff? Anyway, that's my pathetic eco-confession for this week. And in a different but kind of similar vein, um, I think there's a theme here of once you become a little bit interested in the environment that everybody thinks you're some sort of tree-hugging eco-warrior, which for any tree-hugging eco-warriors out there, like, yeah, you go for it. Good on you. But um, at the same time, I'm I'm not at that level. I try not to preach. Um, and so if I make any sort of misstep, that's immediately some like sort of element of laughter or ridicule in the office. So my ego fail was that um, I usually have water bottles that I take with me that are reusable, um, and I'd forgotten. Um, and if I don't take a water bottle to work with me, see, I'm trying to justify it to you right now, which I shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> is that I don't drink enough water, so I bought uh, a single-use plastic bottle from the local shop um, and when I got into the office um, I was immediately kind of taking the mick off oh okay she's brought in you know uh, a single-use plastic bottle thought you liked the environment um, and so I just felt like ashamed for the rest of the day um, which is really unnecessary and unfair so boo to my colleagues. <laughs> It's a good one and I bet loads of people who try this stuff gets like will hopefully feel our pain. Exactly. <laughs> okay so let's dive in. Um, I bet you're wondering a lot of you out there what is a fatberg? So a fatberg is a congealed mass that forms in the sewers from things like grease, oil, wet wipes, tampons and sanitary towels. And there have actually been a few famous fatbergs in the media. Okay, so I'll tell you a bit about those. Uh, in 2017, a fatberg was discovered in Whitechapel, East London, during some routine checks of the sewers. And it was 250 metres long. 
It's disgusting. Um, and just to put that in context, Tower Bridge in London is 240 metres long. So that's really, really disgusting. Um, in 2018, an even longer and heavier fatberg was discovered on the South Bank in London. And then earlier this year, in February 2019, another large fatberg was discovered, this time in a Devon resort town of Sidmouth, which is on the coast. Um, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, so a piece of the Whitechapel Fatberg um, was actually still kept intact and went on display at the Museum of London in 2018. And for those of you who are interested, you can actually go on um, a fat cam and look at that piece of Fatberg live right now. The Museum of London are going to continue to live stream um, what's changing about that Fatberg as time goes on. Yeah, I've um, I've seen it and it's really weird. So I, I think they kind of said in one of the articles that it's not only hatched flies, mm -hmm. it kind of like sweats and it's shape and colour changes. So it's really gross. Obviously, uh, I didn't watch it long enough to see any of that stuff happen, but um, it's definitely worth from a fascination perspective to give it a look. Yeah, and they've discovered antibiotic resistant bacteria on it. And essentially the big problem is if they hadn't seen this blockage and it, they'd been flooding in people's homes, that antibiotic resistant bacteria would have reached into people's homes. It's really disgusting. Really, really gross. <laughs> There are actually fatbergs in other countries, um, but interestingly, they're more likely to occur in countries like the UK because our sewer systems are a lot older, um, because kind of due to our society being modernised at an earlier date than a lot of other countries, and therefore um, the pipe systems are a lot less smooth, and so they're more subject to things getting caught and stuck um, so that these kind of masses can congeal and form. Also, uh, fatbergs are incredibly difficult to get rid of. There's uh, the aspect that um, Mac mentioned about kind of the antibiotic resistant uh, kind of materials on them, but also um, the fact that fatbergs are actually really incredibly difficult to get rid of. Uh, all the waste that goes incorrectly down our drains and toilets costs millions and millions of pounds. In fact, Thames Water has stated that they spend 12 million pound a year trying to get rid of get rid of these things and kind of clear the sewers and often the overflows need to be opened to get rid of them which means that toxic waste is actually going directly into the sea that is grim and yeah and when i was reading about the Whitechapel one actually they said yeah it took months to dislodge and remove safely but the teams of staff had to go down for 30 minute shifts at a time and were wearing full breathing apparatus oh. because as they dislodged the mass hazardous gases like sulfur were released so it was a real huge operation to make sure that the staff were safe um, and the sheer weight of what they were doing they had to stick to 30 minute shifts i read also that i think in sidmouth there put gen they've got a generator pumping fresh air down there to, to try and combat that problem as well it's just so gross i um, mean just to think about the fact that our household waste mm -hmm is creating a hazardous toxic environment that other people are yeah okay they might be being paid but mm -hmm. they're having to go down into this sort of dangerous environment mm -hmm. um for things that are completely avoidable exactly and and yeah from what i understand then the oil sticks to the pipes uh, and then the sanitary towels and exactly. the wet wipes stick to the oil and then it all continues from exactly. there right it yeah. all just builds up so how does this relate to periods Okay, so that's a very good question uh, because we have ha have already said a whole host of materials get flushed or poured where they shouldn't be. However, nobody talks about periods, so we can quite easily talk about the fact that oil shouldn't go down the drain, wet wipes 
I think it's kind of quite obvious that you shouldn't flush them. But actually nobody likes talking about periods because it's awkward, it's often taboo. Um, and actually I, I think because of this, most people probably have no idea that their sanitary habits are having an impact on the environment. Yeah, and actually I was reading recently that for women, you're more likely to know the contraceptive method of your close friends than you are about their periods and what products they use and what their habits are. It's just not something that you talk about even with your close friends, which I thought was really interesting because you would you could almost assume that contraception would be something. I'm so pleased that contraception is something that women mm -hmm. feel they can talk about openly, um, and yet periods have remained this taboo thing that people just don't talk about. No, no, you're right. So I did a bit of um, a kind of a straw poll um, on uh, social media uh, to kind of find out um, kind of people's thoughts and feelings towards periods, um, which we can kind of maybe look at a little bit later if we have time. But um, one thing that was really interesting is that um, uh, talking to my own mother, she has been having periods for probably, you know, uh, the last sort of 40 years and she had always flushed her tampons down the toilet wow. so that's literally 40 years worth of tampon flushing um, and we can give you some facts about the impact of that a little bit later um, and that was purely from her not knowing that she shouldn't do it it wasn't a case of thinking oh I don't care or um, you know the environment isn't important it's just her genuinely not having that kind of knowledge and understanding that uh, tampons are not meant to be flushed down the toilet. Yeah, and I think actually it's a cultural thing specifically in this country. So it temp generally when they've done tests on beaches to see what products are coming up, there isn't sanitary products aren't really found on European beaches compared to the UK. So this definitely seems to be a difference in of culture. In European countries, they do bin tampons and sanitary towels, but here there's a real mis misunderstanding about the, the mm -hmm. whether you can do that or not. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned some facts, Becky. What facts have we got? Okay, over the course of a lifetime, every menstruating person uses an average of 11,000 sanitary products. Wow. And actually spends several thousand pounds, I think it's about four or five thousand uh, pounds, for the pleasure of doing so. So how does this impact the environment? In the environment? So a marine conservation study found that 1.5 to 2 billion tampons are flushed down the toilet a year, um, and that's around half of the people using them in the UK. According to uh, the EcoChic podcast, 35% waste in our oceans is actually from sanitary pads and tampons. And 200,000 tonnes of sanitary waste is generated in the UK alone. Um, and to try and put that into some context yeah. for you. What does that actually look like? Exactly. Uh, that's either 200,000 small cars, so, you know, think of your, you know, Ford KA or... <laughs> Good Fiesta, um, or 1,333 blue whales. Oh, God, so to think that through, I think, 200,000 tonnes of sanitary waste, that is unbelievable. And that's just from the UK. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned something about the coastline, which is uh, really interesting because you're right, um, in the UK, um, 23 pads and nine tampons are the average amount found washed up per one kilometre of British coastline. Oh, no one wants to swim in amongst that. Exactly. That is nasty. Yeah, and then also because so much of the sanitary products are made from plastic. Um, there's a, in the media, there's been a large coverage about microplastics um, and the banning of the small microplastic beads in face scrubs. Um, but in the applicators, tampons and pads that are made of plastic, these break down over years and they become microplastics in the ocean as well. And that's not something that's really been discussed very much. 
No, no, definitely. Um, and then that, yeah, it just adds to that thing of the amount of things that we're pumping into our oceans where we are, you know, hearing every day. And I think everybody's seen the, the David Attenborough yeah. uh, documentaries um, showing about what kind of our habits are doing to our oceans and, and you know, the wider planet. So we've talked a little bit about what the facts are on the impact on the environment, but how uh, do these affect our bodies? So of course it's widely accepted that sanitary products are safe to use, um, but it might be worth knowing that stick-on sanitary pads and towels are 90% made of plastic. Um, and so your average pack of 12 or 14 pads is actually made with enough plastic to make four of those carrier bags for life that you're getting from your local Tesco's or Sainsbury's or Lidl's. And let's face it, you wouldn't flush four carrier bags for life down the toilet. No, definitely not, because you'd get a big blockage, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, and then tampons themselves, they are full of chemicals and bleach, um, often just to make them white. So I think it's more of an aesthetic thing so that, you know, your tampons are more aesthetically pleasing. Um, and, I, and I don't say this is a scare tactic to make people worry about uh, inserting tampons, but it's something I had not considered myself until recently. Um, and just learning a bit about how the vagina is super absorbent, it does worry me a little bit that I would be spending, you know, potentially 40, 50 years of my life putting items in me that have chemicals and bleach wow wow and actually that's yeah i we had a little conversation before we started this podcast about like so what actually are the objectives of sanitary products what are we trying to gain from a sanitary product so you want them to obviously allow you to feel clean um you want them to be absorbent like you were saying um most people will consider the cost and different people will be able to afford um different items and prioritize costs in different ways generally you want to feel well not generally always you want to feel comfortable for me realizing I've had periods for 17 years I don't and for 17 years I've had this paranoia like that and I don't want to have paranoia but I I just don't want anyone to know I'm on my period also like people obviously want this to be convenient every single month having your period it's going to have an impact on your daily life so for generally people are going to want different levels of convenience which will impact what products you decide to use and for a lot of people as we're discussing one of the objectives might be that you want your periods to have a minimum impact on the planet and obviously those objectives shift for different people and we're going to be discussing those a little bit more today. So let's think about what are our options. So we've also we've obviously got the mainstream products um, which would be your regular um, single-use tampons and uh, pads that you can buy from your supermarket. We've also got the reusable cups and pads, which we will talk more about. And we've also got the biodegradable and organic products, um, which we will also um, go into a little bit more because they're a bit more kind of not so well known. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess we're gonna start with the reusable cups and pads, right? So I've used the Moon Cup, that's one particular make. You, what is it you call yeah, them? Yeah, so I've got the, oh, well. So I'm using the Diva Cup, but um, a name that my husband uh, has given it is uh, Blood Chalice. <laughs> uh, so I would really recommend, if anyone wants to add a bit of humour to switching their period products, uh, find a name like Blood Chalice. And when you first started using it, you called it a menstrual cup, didn't you, uh, all the time? No. What no, was it you called it? Think, was it, I just, did I just call it the period cup? Period, period cup. cup. I don't yeah. know why it amused me as much as it did. Just, yeah, it's just, your... I think it's just like a blunt way of, 
of yeah. labeling it. I think everybody <laughs> found it quite amusing, maybe quite unsettling. I don't know. I wasn't I going it. for like a shock factor or anything, but that sort of was the outcome. Um, and I actually had a massive revelation, as you know, when yeah. I switched to using the period cap. So I, I think about the fact that I had been using... Um, you know, mostly sanitary towels actually because of the inherent fear that the school nurse put into me of toxic shock syndrome at the age of nine. God, we um, have to go through a lot, don't exactly. we? Exactly. Um, then I've actually been using um, uh, sort of sanitary pads for the majority of my life. I didn't start using uh, tampons until my 20s. So for 18 years, I had been using single-use items. I never flushed them, just to make a point about that. <laughs> but um, I'd obviously been disposing of them and spending a lot of money on them. Anyway, so I'd been looking at using a cup for a little while. There's so many out there. It's a bit confusing. I wasn't really sure which one to pick. Um, and I ended up going for the Diva cup simply because I was told that it's got um, slightly firmer walls mm -hmm. than some of its other counterparts. And because I do a lot of sport, full contact sport, um, I thought that it would be good to have something that was a little bit more sturdy. And I was literally like blown away. Like, how could I have a period and have no waste come out of it? Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'll acknowledge that it took a little bit to get it in right. Um, and generally, I would say the consensus is if you can feel it, you probably haven't got it in quite right. Um, so that took a little bit to get used to. Um, and even, you know, every period, kind of my experience with it is a little bit different. Mm. Sometimes it's great. I just use it can't really feel it that much others it takes a little bit more kind of having to sort of move around and and kind of reinsert but generally I found it a really really positive experience yeah that's great and I don't know about you but I always in the beginning when I first started using the moon cup I had to I thought that it was this really new thing that I had to be aware of which toilets yeah. were going to be in the vicinity of me during the day mm -hmm. and obviously most of the time I'm at work or I'm at home but I'm just thinking which toilets are suitable and around me are there for example a single toilet that's got a sink in the cubicle yeah. with me that's the ideal scenario I realized actually I already felt like that anyway mm -hmm. even when I was on my period before I was still thinking like throughout the day if I need to change my tampon where the nearest public toilet's going to be are they nice are they clean yeah. Do, are they going to have bins? Like, what's the situation? So actually, it doesn't feel that different. There's a lot of conversation about throughout the day, what, what do you do to change it and clean it out? And generally, the consensus I think we've both used is to have a bottle of water, right? Yeah. And so you can rinse it out, pop it back in, and then do it, give it a proper clean when you get home in the evening. Definitely. I, I've got some friends who actually uh, don't mind, uh, you know, taking it out into the sink into sort of a public a public toilet to give it a wash and rinse it. But actually, that's not convenient for me. Um, I maybe haven't got quite to that level of confidence. That's pretty bold. Yeah, and also... I'm a bit lazy like I don't want to have to go come out of the toilet and go back in so I definitely mm. agree um a bottle of water mm. and then just yeah something I thought might be worth sharing that I haven't told Mac that it happened to me only yesterday uh <laughs> that um I dropped it down the toilet for the first time <laughs> so that was not what not what I was expecting it was just before I was due to go and play a roller derby game and um I dropped it fully down the toilet and had to fish it out that is delightful. It was really gross. Um, but that's never happened uh, before now. And I hope that doesn't put you off. Um, but just to say, if it does, you will survive. Yeah. <laughs> you'll wash your hands several times and you'll survive. But yeah, so I would just be wary of taking it out and maybe not taking it out when you've got knee pads and skin yeah. on. <laughs> That, that was probably my downfall. That's the perfect helpful hint. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Yeah, I think as well the thing to note is that 
they're not going to be for everyone. I don't think everyone Definitely are going to find they're convenient or and comfortable. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. The whole discussion today is finding what's right for you. There are pluses and minuses for both, which I think we're going to go on to talk about cost and stuff. But yeah, generally, what am I trying to say? We're not trying to make anyone feel bad for not wanting to use this stuff, no, basically. No, definitely not. I think, you know, from the outset, our message is not to preach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more to inform um, and educate in a hopefully entertaining way <laughs> so that you can make um, decisions or at least think about, you know, what, what, what you're doing. Is it right for you? Is the changes that you're willing to make? Yeah, and I've remembered what I was going to say. So that when I started using the Moon Cup and I've been using reusable pads for a number of years, I've actually found it really empowering to be more aware about how heavy my own period is mm-hmm. i think there's this idea that you want to just get the tampon out flush it away don't want to know anything about my own period i haven't got an awareness of what's going mm-hmm. on in my own body but actually the moon cup and the pads really connect you to your own body and what's happening to you and it's actually strangely empowering to have that knowledge so the pads that i've been using are like made of bamboo i can't remember the company i get them from and they're reusable ones that um, you can use multiple times oh, sorry, just to yes. make, it, make yeah. it clear. Not explaining myself well. Articulate better. So, yeah, so they're reusable in that you, obviously, they have little clips, like little wings and a little popper clip. I don't know how to describe what that clip is. You know what I mean. That you would get on a shirt. And you can, when you take them out, you can wrap them up and put them in a little... A bag and take them home with you that sounds disgusting it's actually totally fine the little clicker things allow you to close it shut there's a little bag that it comes with that is really discreet and then you can take them home all I do to clean them is throw them into the bottom of the shower so mm-hmm. when the water's heating up the cold water to stop them from staining is rinsing them out I give them a proper good clean out and then leave them to dry and then they'll mm-hmm. go into the washing machine say with like a big bulky towels or bed sheets and stuff and they come out obviously they don't come out looking brand new but they look out come out looking clean um, and I've been really happy with them they become more absorbent over time generally mine have lasted three and a half years I've literally just bought some more just for my own comfort of feeling like it'd be nice to have some newer ones mm-hmm. now but the company I get them from them they're made in India I'll have to put a link and for every pack that I buy, a sanitary towel, a reusable sanitary towel is provided or a pack is provided to Indian women. Um, okay. So it's really nice to know that I'm also empowering those women as well to be able to have better lives and have sanitary products available. But that's been a really positive experience for me. I've had really no issues with the reusable pads at all. And then in terms of like comfort, because I think some of the things is, you know, you don't want to feel like you're kind of wearing a nappy. Yeah. Or, you know, there's sort of those, those kind of, the single use pads you'd wear when maybe when you first got your period, they're like super thick and you felt like, you know, you like were waddling around the place. Exactly. So I just wondered what, what they were like in terms of comfort. They're really thin. They're not surfboards, which is delightful. <laughs> yeah, they're absolutely fine. I guess I've, sometimes there's certain pants I wear where they're more likely to move. Okay. So, I mean... Am I the only one to say that I have pants that I wear during my period? There's sort of certain pants that I wear during yeah, that time yeah, and not others. I'm not going to wear my fancy lace pants at no, this time. No. Um, yeah, so I just generally know which pants to wear so that they won't move. But it's not like a major issue. Okay. Yeah, really comfortable. So that's 
the reusable products that we both use. Yeah. I just wanted to mention the one that neither of us have used, oh, yeah. but at some point I would like to. But I think this one definitely comes under um, some of the kind of cons or barriers in terms of cost. Um, and that's like the pants. So you've got like the Thinks pants. Um, and there are some other brands, which I'm sorry, I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, that you can wear without any other sort of sanitary product. And the idea is that they have made out of um, material that can kind of absorb the period blood and it doesn't kind of go through to your clothes um, and uh, you can wash them and wear them again. Um, I've had some friends who've had really good experiences th with them, particularly like wearing them to bed so they don't have to wear well, any other sort of product. that's a good point. I wouldn't have thought of that. No, so um, that's not something that we've, either of us have used yet, but um, yeah, interested to hear um, what other people think about using those. Okay, so the alternative to reusable products is biodegradable products that are fairly widely more available now yes but i think it is a bit confusing about what does biodegradable what does organic actually mean okay so let's hope i get this right so biodegradable means uh, organic matter so not industrially processed matter so we're talking about organic matter decomposes so it's broken down by bacteria and living organisms and essentially it's like it's like when you compost so in order for a biodegradable item to biodegrade specific conditions or factors are required so the easiest one to describe is that temperature has to be correct for something to biodegrade so that's the reason why so for example you don't want your bread to start to decompose and have mold form on it so you freeze your bread right mm -hmm. so because the temperature is so low decomposition isn't um, doesn't happen it doesn't start to biodegrade there's a difference between aerobic and anaerobic and it's to do with the oxygen but generally what i'm what i really want to say is so we're going to talk about biodegradable sanitary products but essentially if you put a biodegradable product into landfill where mm -hmm. there's no oxygen and then the conditions aren't correct for biodegrading to happen and the reason there's no oxygen is because say the the rubbish bag is like tied up and it's in a heap and so the like no oxygen can get into the the place with the rubbish yeah. so all the landfill right? site will be pushed right down um to and it's compacted as much as possible and researchers have gone into say a landfill that's 25 years old mm -hmm. um and been able to easily identify food products and products that should have biodegraded over that time oh, wow. and they look essentially the same um because they haven't started to biodegrade because this the uh, situation the um, factors and the conditions aren't correct for biodegrading to happen now that isn't a reason not to use biodegradable products it, from my perspective you buy those because you increase the sales of biodegradable products and we move away from non-biodegradable environmentally damaging products that will never something that like plastic that's industrially processed um, it's taking a product of like crude oil which will decompose fairly quickly it's made in like crude oil is made into petroleum and petroleum is made into plastic and petroleum and plastic they don't biodegrade because mm -hmm. they've now been industrially processed those things will never decompose so we want to move away from those so in the meantime you use biodegradable products you throw them away in your bin you know that they're probably going to go to a landfill site which isn't going to be like conducive for them to biodegrade but the more that we buy those products, the more likely it is that over time our councils create collections for biodegradable products. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it will be more mainstream for them to 
go into your food waste box or whatever yeah. um, for them to properly biodegrade. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah that's a really good uh, I just wanted to mention it because otherwise you might buy these things and not realise, you think oh, I'm doing the perfect thing and it can feel really confusing when you realise, well, actually they're not going to biodegrade because they're not actually going to the right place. But it's better to do that than to con continue with the mainstream if possible. Yeah. And I guess in the nature of uh, us putting this podcast together, I tried some of these products um, just to kind of see how they um, managed in comparison. Um, I think I mentioned obviously a, um, a couple of minutes earlier that um, before I was in my 20s, I had used predominantly um, sanitary pads. And uh, even though I don't really need them now, when I've got my period cap, Generally, I kind of sometimes it's a little bit more comfortable kind of sleeping or um, sometimes I guess as we get older, not that I would say I have like actual bladder weakness. <laughs> I'm not quite that old yet. It's not quite the tenor lady advert with a woman's ballet dancing. Um, but it is sometimes good to have kind of like an extra kind of layer of support. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, the two brands that I tried were uh, firstly um, this brand called Totem. So T-O-T-M. Um, I think they're quite new. Um, I happened to come across them in Tesco which is again another reason I've tried these products is because they were in a convenient available section and I literally walked past them yes. and I thought you know I wouldn't have got, maybe gone out of my way and tried to buy them online mm -hmm. so I tried the Totem ones um, I tried the uh, a sanitary towel and I also tried the um, what's it called? Panty liner? The panty liner that's it um, so they were okay um, absorbency was fine but the stickiness was really really poor and here comes another embarrassing sanitary story from me. So I was sitting in a meeting at work. This is going to be embarrassing because obviously maybe some of my colleagues who are friends might actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> and I was thinking, I was wearing a jumpsuit and I thought, oh, where's my, where's the panty liner gone? Like I can't, I can't feel it. I was like, shit, has this actually dropped out of my jumpsuit? Like is this somewhere in my open plan office and not even realised? I was absolutely like really mortified. I was in this meeting for a good two hours. It was like a finance meeting or something. But then luckily, so more people came into the room and I had to move seats. And then I was like trying to, you know, casually check without checking and realised it was still there, but it would it had dislodged so much that it was like practically like sort of in my sort of crotch region. <laughs> So I had to sit through the rest of the meeting and then really sort of strategically leave to go to the toilet at the end without it kind of dislodging any further and falling out. So unfortunately, Totem, you lose on um, stickiness because if the product can't do what the mainstream products do, then unfortunately there's no point. It's a really good point. And when we talked about objectives like absorbency and whatever, I didn't include stickiness. No. So uh, yes, I wouldn't be buying them again, unfortunately. But um, the packaging was good. Like it was in cardboard there was kind of no plastic wrapping they were biodegradable but yeah that's the reason I wouldn't buy them again and secondly I bought uh, which I came across in Waitrose and that's the only place I've seen these is the natural care ones and actually this is a really like long established brand maybe even as early as like the 70s or 80s oh, okay. I think so they're brands that are from kind of over in Europe I think somewhere like Sweden I'm not sure I can double check that if it's wrong it's you can you up. can email me and complain that's fine um but basically I thought I'd try these um and they have all the interesting things we've got some packets in front of us right now like they're vegan approved they've won ethical awards they talk about how they're plastic free, perfume free, chlorine free. There's lots of different information on the boxes trying to show how, I guess, great they are for the environment. And very interestingly as well, they also have their kind of like carbon footprint. 
because if you think about the fact they're exporting them um, internationally and they obviously do have carbon footprint. And actually, I thought these were excellent. So the ones that were the ultra extra pads, obviously they're going to be a little bit thicker. So they did feel a little bit thick, but both the panty liner and the pad were incredibly sticky. I mean, more so than other mainstream products that I'd used. So there's some pants that are made of a slightly different material. Things don't stick to them so well. And these did excellently. Like I would genuinely recommend them as an alternative to the mainstream products. That's really great because I'm looking for a product as a backup for if you go away for the weekend and you maybe mm -hmm. don't feel as comfortable to use your cup and you, yeah. there are times obviously where you need to switch around so I'm definitely going to try these. Yeah, I would review. recommend it. Um, uh, the, I guess the only thing I would say is that them only being available in weight drawers that I've seen, I th you did, can definitely buy them online but I don't think that makes them that accessible personally. If they're not mm -hmm. in supermarkets that more people would be able to access, mm -hmm. then they could do better by being more widely distributed. But that just be because there is actually a saturation mm -hmm. of different mainstream products and um, uh, home brands in the different supermarkets. It's not necessarily Naturacare's fault. Yeah. One thing I was surprised, actually, because you were telling me about them before we started today, we looked on the boxes to see if it says do not flush um, or fine to flush, which is a new labelling system that's coming out. Um, so Water UK, as a response to the Fatbergs, have tried to create this labelling standard. So, But I think from what I've read, I couldn't fully get mm -hmm. the information I wanted, but I think at the moment it's dominating it's dominated by wet wipes, okay. which to me, I think we should be asking ourselves, seeing as there's been this massive increase in wet wipes, whether we actually need them. But anyway, it's really good because different manufacturers can send their wet wipes to their company to be checked and certified as to whether they are fine to flush or whether they are do not flush. And then that labeling system can go on the products. Yeah. But at the moment, I think it's wet wipes only. And I think it's not mandatory for companies to do it. Um, but I just thought, interestingly, like regardless, even if you're buying a biodegradable product, actually, I forgot to mm -hmm. say this, doesn't mean it's flushable yeah like any product wet wipe or not that says flushable on it is a really misleading term mm -hmm. just because it can be flushed doesn't mean it should be and they're, they're creating this standard to make it a lot clearer to people as to they've rigorously tested this product will properly break down in the sewers and won't lead towards fatbergs yeah i think actually that's one of the issues with all of this kind of new interest in the environment and sustainability is that actually there's so much conflicting information out there that it fills a lot of people with anxiety because they don't feel like they can ever do the right thing. Exactly. So um, I think that's really good they're creating that standard. Yeah, I just hope they move it into sanitary products as well because I'd be mm -hmm. interested to know if the products that are getting the fine to flush label are organic and biodegradable products because yeah. you would assume that any product that's got any level of plastic in it that could become microplastics... Couldn't be flushed. Shouldn't be flushed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I would still, to be honest, regardless of whether it says don't flush or find to flush, my view is don't flush any of them. Okay, no. that's good to know. And I guess the only other thing I'd say very quickly about the panty liners from Natricare is if you kind of leave them on for a little bit longer than you usually would just because you're busy or you haven't had a chance to kind of stop and stop at the loo and change them if you're out and about, is that it didn't start to break down as such, but you can almost see that it, um, I guess it's in more of the environment that it would need to be in to start mm. to break down. Oh, They're wow. actually 
I just it's hard to describe, but I could mm. definitely see how they probably break down incredibly quickly. Yeah. They're quite thin. Um and uh so I yeah, it's it was just quite interesting. So I would imagine that even if you kind of started to put them into waste, I would I would imagine that they would start to break down quite quickly. That's re- actually that's a really good point because I'm saying biodegradable products in a non-suitable place won't biodegrade, but actually the manufacturers might have created these under the knowledge that it will take a while before they mm-hmm. actually reach the landfill site and before then they would have already biodegraded yeah. a fair amount. I don't so know. I'm not, yeah, we don't know, yeah, but a lot um, of just observation. There. Okay, so now we're just going to quickly summarise the pros and cons of the different options um, before we go through our take-home messages. Love it. Let's do it. Okay, so let's start with reusable. So the pros of the reusable is that I guess essentially we think these are the best, whether that's cups or pads. You're not having to buy them every month. If you're using the cups, silicone is good for most people with allergies and the risk of toxic shock is significantly reduced. That's really positive, yeah. The cons, so the upfront cost it can be a bit of an issue if a cup is 20 quid and actually you spend, you know, you buy home brand uh, tampons that are, you know, one quid and you only spend maybe 20 quid a year max, um, then you might feel that that's a big cost. But actually in the long run, it is definitely going to save you money. And I think approximately it could save you up to £2,000 sort of in your sanitary uh, product using lifetime. Um, I guess one of the other cons, which is probably a big thing because of the taboo um, and the awkwardness around periods, is that you do have to get a bit more intimate with your body and your period. And um, I think that is definitely a challenge for some people. And that's for both the pads and the cups. Absolutely. Yeah. And while I've said that that's empowering, I definitely recognise that for people that's that can be a huge change and might be a massive con. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for the biodegradable products, yeah, so like I was saying, the more that we purchase them, the more chances are that there'll be better um, waste management systems for all kinds of biodegradable products in the future. So that's good to boost the sales of those, um, particularly if you find like the natural care ones that Becky's tried, like if you like them then and you can afford them and they're slightly more expensive generally, then go for it. That's great to increase the sales of those products. But I guess we were saying that the stickiness isn't always as good, so maybe they're not not always fit for purpose. And actually, the amount of energy taken to produce, in particular organic, can be more damaging to the environment than normal products. Yeah, I think I don't know the full science behind that, but I'm I'm under the impression that in order to create tampons, they turn wood pulp into this soft cotton-like fibre, and that's quite resource and chemical intensive. And I would imagine that, and that's for the mainstream standard ones, but I'd imagine for the organic ones that's still quite similar they're going to be quite resource intensive yeah and even if they're like pure cotton the amount of water it it uses to to manufacture the cotton process is Mm -hmm. is a lot and that's what sells the massive pro for reusable is that the transportation material cost energy cost water cost that's gone into making those reusable items you're obviously using them over and over and Mm -hmm. over again so they are from an environmental perspective the best thing that you can do yeah And lastly, mainstream, we definitely have to acknowledge that you can buy sort of mainstream products. Some are expensive, of course, if you're using some of the big brands, but actually you can buy them very cheaply and they're widely available. And that's really important. Um, And also charities like Bloody Good Period, for example, who kind of trying to tackle period poverty in the UK, using a lot of sort of mainstream um, single use products to give out to kind of 
women that are you know young or of any age that are in period poverty um so we have to acknowledge that they have their place Mm -hmm. in society however everything else about them is really awful the materials that they're made of and they're not disposable the risk that they can create if they're flushed um they are yeah that is that is a problem so Mm -hmm. we definitely acknowledge that they have their place but um we we personally wouldn't recommend using them yeah, and I think that um, rounds us up to our, what's our take-home messages from today? Okay, so the biggest one is just never flush. Do not flush your tampons, do not flush your sanitary towels, please. So I'm not asking you to, like, helicopter your tampon around the office toilet to be like, you know, I'm loud and I'm proud about disposing the sanitary product correctly, but please either put it in the sanitary bin provided, or if there isn't one, wrap it in some tissue or um, just try and dispose in a normal bin if there isn't another option. Yeah, I guess that that's the biggest take-home message because if you can't afford to or are not not feeling the options of reusable or moving over to biodegradable products, if there's one thing you can do with a mainstream product, don't flush it because, as we've said, it's so made up of plastic. And actually, from what you've just said about wrapping the tampon up in paper, I should give a little shout-out to an inventor called Martha Silcott who's made the fab little bag, and it's a biodegradable bag that you can open with one hand and put your tampon in it securely, mm. purely for that reason of how often women are in situations where um, they want, they need to dispose of a tampon and they don't know what to do and it's really uncomfortable. And I just thought that was really interesting what she's done and there's such yeah. a variety, we may as well mention it. And I guess the one other thing I thought of was if you're going to stick to mainstream products, try to buy the products that have cardboard applicators. If you buy tampons with applicators, aim for the ones with that are made from cardboard because we certainly don't need plastic applica- more plastic applicators out there in landfill um, for, in their single use, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, next take-home message, do your research. So I guess gold standard would be to talk to your friends, your family, your colleagues, sort of get more comfortable with your period, kind of take the taboo element out of it, but totally acknowledge that that's a bit too much for some people. Um, so you kind of use Google, find out more about periods, you know, smash that taboo by educating yourself if you're not sure about talking to other people about it. There are plenty of revo- resources out there, things like the Women's Environmental Network. Um, I've already mentioned Bloody Good period there's lots of interesting brands so like for example the dot cup did a, does a similar thing in that if you buy one and um, they donate another product to somebody else who needs it in maybe more like a, a developing country and lastly is a bit more broader but just like challenge yourself this is a little bit close to the research one but actually just try something different it would be fab if everyone switched to reusable products but i accept that that's not going to always happen but you could try an organic or biodegradable option if you can afford them or even just kind of tell one other person you know in a safe space or as I'm labeling it a period friendly zone pfz um we could copyright that um about the impact of flushing tampons definitely so um I would hope now and I will check with her on this that my mother is no longer flushing her tampons purely because we've had that sort of conversation in a safe space that it's not okay to do so and then obviously i've come and broadcasted it on a podcast but i'm sure she will mind we'll get an update on your mum next week exactly um and i guess i wanted to end the podcast today just by saying really at the end of the day we're so incredibly lucky in this Mm -hmm. country to even have an option over which sanitary products we use and so we you know there's there's young girls in 
countries where they don't have this stuff available to them who can't go to school because they have their period yeah. who sit on sand buckets when they're on their period that stuff makes me want to cry like we are so lucky to even have an option so if we have the option to use our sanitary products in this country we should attempt to do the best that we can with them and feel empowered by the fact that we can look after ourselves in that way yeah definitely it's like acknowledging that we've got privilege Absolutely. and and making good decisions with that privilege that we've De- got. oh you've worded that so much better than i did yeah no, absolutely right true. yeah okay guys um i hope you've enjoyed today's podcast Thank you very much for listening. Hope you've learned a few things. I think we will try and post some of the kind of interesting resources and links, especially like if you want to look at the fat book 24 hours a day. And we will also post details of our email address. So if you've got any questions, want to point out anything we may have uh, said incorrectly, you're more than welcome to do so, internet trolls. (laughs) The plethora of mistakes can be pointed out to us. How delightful. All right, guys, this has been Confessions of an Eco Warrior. We'll see you next time. Bye.